Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, Archons. Welcome to the second episode of Help from Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast. My name is Alex, a.k.a. Fuzzy Gruen, and I am joined by my pals. Blake, and I go by Boulevard Paper Fight. And I'm Rick, and I'm the Wheeling Keyforger. And we're here to talk about the Age of Ascension. It is upon us. Gentlemen, have you had a chance to play Age of Ascension Keyforge? Just a little bit. Uh, one event that we had last Thursday, I pulled a sealed deck. I have gone, let's just bring it up here. Give me one second. I've gone, I believe, one in five with it. I like it a lot. I just don't understand it yet, don't know it. But on the whole, from what I've seen, I think this new set is quite a bit slower and I'm not sure how that'll be for my play style because I play fast and aggressive, but I like it so far. So we'll see how it goes. What about yourself, Blake? I was um I was away when it was released, uh, so I managed to hit up a local game store there and I picked up one deck just so I I had a deck from that place and uh, I played it yesterday. I got to play a few games. Uh, most of them are actually with Rick. Yeah. And uh, the very first game I played was the deck I got when I was away, and it was awful. It is. It might be the worst deck I own, and it's so sad. <laughs> it it has like no Ember control. I just got cleaned out with it. Um, it it literally has one card to take someone off of a key, and it's the um, uh, Mars needs Ember or Mars is that the one? Mars yep, needs Mars Ember. Needs where you capture. Yeah. So and then it has save the pack. So there's there's a way to combo it off, but the problem is that is the only card, and it's so situational. You basically have one turn. You can take them off a key. So I'm trying to see if there's a way of playing the deck where it's more like like a racing style where you just don't worry about what they're doing and you just try and get out as many cards as possible and get the Ember because you're not going to be able to take them off a key. So um, it's got a lot of uh, kinks to it. But uh, yeah, that was the unfortunate thing. But then I, I, I also got my order in uh, yesterday. So I got to open those. And my first deck I opened from my starter kit was uh, pretty interesting. It, uh, it had... What I mentioned last episode was the uh, the helper bot plus Archimedes and Igor, and it had two uh, of the Archimedes and two of the helper bots plus an Igor. So I got to play that combo with Rick yesterday multiple times, and it also has Redacted in it as well. Yeah, and I managed dang. to pull off Redacted twice, and one time was for my third key. I literally forged and then called Logos and then third key just like that. And, and uh, Rick was up two to one on me as well. So that was a, a pretty fun moment, but I'm not sure how competitive the deck is, but it's a lot of fun to play. I definitely forgot about redacted there for, for that <laughs> one. Yeah. I, I personally got to, uh, to play in the same sealed event that Rick played in last week. Um, my deck is pretty decent, but it was such a different style of deck for me. One that I definitely am not super comfortable with as of yet. And I really took me a while to start to warm up to the way that it played because it's so much slower and so much more deliberate and I'm paying attention to so much more than I normally do when I play. One of the habits that I've gotten into with Keyforge is that, you know, you, you sort of get the hang of a deck and you don't think necessarily um, mechanically about how it's playing. You just sort of play on instinct once you're really comfortable, which is both advantageous and disadvantageous, right? Like it's a level of comfort, but also you aren't mentally thinking through every step. So having to, you know, sort of reverse 
back to the stage of the game where I was really thinking hard about everything that I was doing with an unfamiliar card set has been a bit of a challenge. But uh, I wanted to ask you guys a question. And I know that we have a limited amount of play that we can judge this on thus far. I feel like the Age of Ascension is a much more deliberate set in almost every way. Um, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of speed and it doesn't feel like it's going to ever be that easy to go on autopilot because so many things that used to matter uh, only a little or, you know, were sort of situational really matter a whole lot now. And I'm talking things about like battle line placement. Yep. And also symmetrical artifact effects, of which there are quite a few in this set that impact both players and the game state. Does that match up with your impressions? Yes, this uh, I would have to agree. I, I feel like I'm actually learning the game all over again. Like everything I thought is out the window. And if you start trying to play like you did before, you're going to find yourself uh, caught off guard, I think. And I've also noticed that the archives are much more important in this in this set than the last and um, I don't know, I, I like my actual first impression is if you play a mediocre Call of the Archon deck against a good Age of Ascension, I think the Call of the Archon deck has a bit of an advantage. Uh, and I'm wondering to see if that's just everything so early and no one understands the the intricacies. That's my other one like thing that I'm kind of uh, been mulling over is, is this set one of those sets where you actually really need to get those reps in because the the intricacies and how complicated they are of what actually works to be so powerful is not as um is not as apparent as it was in call of the archons and i'm wondering if that's maybe just the nature of the first set people they want them to know the game and get into it much more easily and now that we're moving on in the in the game of keyforge let's make things more complicated more intricate and as a result the learning curve and the understanding of how your deck plays and what its lines are to true success are much more complicated so therefore you need to get more reps in with the decks to really understand i 100 percent agree with that it's this this set at least for me is so much more complicated so much slower it's just yeah i guess more deliberate would be a great way to say it it's just different i still love this new set but it's going to take me a lot of reps to to get the grasp on the new decks I will not be buying nearly as many decks this time around. Which is an interesting choice from a uh, from the perspective of the manufacturer. Uh, I'm sure that Fantasy Flight would be very happy to sell as many decks as they did the first time around. But uh, I would agree with you, Rick. I feel like I am less tempted to go out and buy 50 decks because I don't have a grasp on what the two decks that I own can do. Like, there's nothing about them so far where I'm like, you know, definitely this is the better of the two. Uh, when I first opened the sealed one and then one that I just bought for funsies, I looked at them and they're like, oh, this funsies one is definitely better than the sealed one. Just looking at the cards and what they can do and sort of thinking about it in terms of the, the original gameplay like that we were also accustomed to from Call of the Archons. And then when I actually started playing with the, the, the sealed deck, I was like, no, this is great. It's powerful. I just didn't understand the interactions and I didn't understand the flavor of the set and the way that interacts with my opponent's deck yeah so there's so much more that can start to happen so until we all play 500 games like we did last time yeah. i don't think we'll have a real understanding of it exactly and that's really cool because it does feel like you're playing an entirely new game a lot of the mechanics are there a lot of the cards are still there but one of the things that i'm loving is the fact that even cards that i was very familiar with from the first set feel different in this set 
They don't necessarily interact in the same way that I'm expecting them to, and that is super cool. Yeah, I agree. It, it's like I said, I, I believe I said it to the group that was there on last Thursday night. Welcome back to the Age of Discovery, boys. Definitely feels like we're all learning again and all being surprised constantly again. Yep. One of the best things that I ever heard uh, about Keyforge was when I was first getting interested in the game, I watched a review of it. And one of the reviewers said, one of the great things about Keyforge is your opponent playing a card and you looking at it going, there's no way that does that. And yet it does. And I felt that again for the first time in months when we were playing last week. And that yep. felt really good. Even when I was getting smoked because of it, it felt really good. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So I want to ask you guys from the cards that you've played thus far, what has been sticking out to you? What have been the things that have really as you've played them or had them played against you, what were the things that stuck out in your mind as being really interesting, different, flavorful? What do you think the new favorites are going to be? I'll kick things off. I have a deck with two Grump Buggies, and that card is Bananas. So for those of you who don't know, the Grump Buggy is a Brobnar artifact. Here's how it works. You play it, you get a Pip of Amber. The text on it reads, Your opponent's keys cost plus one for each friendly creature with power five or higher. Great in a Brobnar deck, especially backed up with Sanctum, like this one is. However, your keys cost plus one amber for each enemy creature with power five or higher. So literally, I put down two of these in two of the games that I played at the same time, and suddenly my opponent's keys, if I could keep my creatures on the board, were costing 12, in some cases 14, at 1.16 amber, and vice versa. So it, suddenly the game became all about not just trying to reap and forge keys. It was about board control by yeah. necessity because there was no way to forge a key otherwise. You can't forge three keys at 20 you know, amber apiece if you have that big a board going on. And I feel like that's one of the major themes of this set is that there is reap hatred. Oh, it yeah. does not want you to just go through rushing through, uh, you know, accumulating a bunch of amber and racing to the finish line. There are so many things in each house that slow you down. Artifacts, creatures, actions. So Grump Buggy to me is almost the perfect explanation of that because not only does it slow your opponent down, it slows you down and it changes the way you have to play the game when it's on the board because you can't just keep accumulating amber. You actually have to try and take ownership of the board a little bit lest you get smoked. Rick, yep. what's your favorite card from the new set so far? I'm just looking up my two new decks and I noticed that in both of them I have Sanctum and Untamed. Um, I, I really, really, really like the Rustnar. It may not be that great of a card, but I just love it. What does it do? It has a fight, destroy an artifact. If that artifact has an amber bonus, you gain that much amber. And it's a four power, no, am no armor. And what house is it in? It's in Untamed. I have a deck with three of them. Interesting. And did you get to play uh, the three of them at any given time? Did they feel good on the board? Were they having interesting interactions? Uh, I think I played two of them. They didn't last, but I think I was able to destroy one artifact, and I believe that artifact was Lash of Broken Dreams, and that's one of my most despised artifacts because I can mm -hmm. not usually get back up to the nine to forge. As long as I can get rid of that, I'm happy. I also liked Fang House, which is the Assault 3 Hazardous 3. Three power, no armor. Great card. It is. Untamed has some gnarly creatures in this set. 
I feel like some of Untamed's flavor has expanded a little bit, mm-hmm. especially looking at some of the uh, combat powers that are granted by the cards in the set. You were talking about the twins last time, yes. uh, the name of which I do not recall. Panpaka. Yeah, Panpaka Anga and Panpaka Jaga. Jaga, thank you. And uh, I played up against those guys, and my first thought was, oh, cool. And my second thought was, God damn it, this is going to make things really difficult now. <laughs> yeah. You get them both on the board, and they are super tough. And uh, I know from reading a little bit of a Richard Garfield interview recently that they were cards that he put a lot of thought into, uh, specifically thinking about the ways in which they would pair with each other, but also they could be used individually. So, um, Blake, what's sticking out to you from the new set? What did you play that felt good? So um, what I played was the the deck that has Redacted. And, I, and honestly, I heard a lot of people saying Redacted is not that good. They thought, how are you going to do five turns, all this? But in this, because this is a slower format, it actually is a really good card. Um, I met, I pulled it off twice, and I think if you use it as a plan for your third key, it's uh, it's very powerful, and it just gives you opportunities. And it, I have it also in in a deck where Brobnar's in my one of my houses, and having something like Calfine, which is a five power creature, and it says before fight, deal two damage to each neighbor of the creature Calfine fights. So it's basically like an mm-hmm. upgraded version in a way because it has more damage for Fire Spitter. And then I have that with some Ganger Chieftains. Bingle Bangle. Yeah, exactly. And I have some um, some Ganger Chieftains, so I can pull it off right away. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. So those are ones I really like. Then obviously Helperbot and Archimedes are amazing. I got, I got a loop last night where I was literally just going and I was getting rid of them and then putting in my archives, getting them back and they both have play abilities. So it's like getting to phase shift almost turn after turn, which really helped when I have a redacted out because then I can call it again. No, I'm going to be seeing three cards from the top of my, my deck through Igor choosing one, discarding two, and then going into helper bot where I can, if I have that in my hand and I do that, and I can actually be more selective out of those three cards. I don't have to just think logos because I know my helper bot's going to help me maybe play one of those out. So it was a really nice little combo there. And uh, I just got to do it over and over. And this deck, I go through it so fast because it has two sound the horns and I only have five Brobnar creatures. So I can literally just cycle through my deck if I want to. I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to get some of this stuff back do a sound the horns, go through a good chunk of the deck, and then I'm going to be able to get it back again. So I found that a really interesting uh, aspect of it. But I actually opened a deck today right before we uh, we got hopped on here, and it had some really interesting uh, stuff in here. It had um, Into the Fray, which I think is an amazing card. And it's, uh, says, it's an action that says play. For the remainder of the turn, a friendly Brobnar creature gains fight ready this creature so essentially you can do it up to six times as long yep. as it hasn't died and with something like i have a grok in this deck as well which is a five power giant that says fight your opponent loses one and then bingle mm-hmm. bang bang if you go into an elusive creature you essentially go into elusive creature before fight deal five damage to each of its neighbors and uh that's basically most things there are very few things that are over five so you're taking out two creatures with the elusive you go in again and you can take out another so you can essentially take out five creatures with the bingle bang bang just yep. from that. So I, I found some really cool combos uh, in this. It has a flex as well. Um, and I think, honestly, flex is great. Uh, and then it also is a Grumpus deck. So it has the Grumpus Tamer plus two War Grumpuses. But the one card is the Ember Imp in Dis. I think yes. I played against it and it was like, it was just like, okay, things just got really nasty really fast. And I was just totally totally out to lunch on that one so ember imps is a two power creature and it's elusive and it says after a creature reaps stun it 
So that's just slowing everything down. And, and that's kind of a pattern I noticed is having something like this. It means if you have a strong board state with one house, that actually is not necessarily a good thing in this set. I think you need to have a diverse board state because if you have these things where you're reaping and stunning, that means your next turn, if you don't have a hand, which the probability is you're going to have less cards because you just have a strong board in that house from the previous turn, that you can't just reap again. So you can't, and just unexhausting them and taking away the stun uh, is not necessarily a profitable turn. So it's, I think you're, you're needing to have a more diverse board state so that you're not affected yep. by these reap hate award um, effects that are so powerful now in Age of Ascension. I would definitely agree with that statement. The Ember Imp is uh, accompanied in-house disc by the Orb of Invidious, which is a artifact that you drop, gives you a pip of amber, and it states very simply, after a creature reaps, stun it. That's an artifact. Now, there's more artifact hate than there used to be in this set. There still ain't a lot of artifact hate. And so... This thing comes down in an early turn. It's going to slow that game right down. Unless somebody has an immediate response for it, some way to get it off the table, you're putting it down and you are basically turning the game into a grind. And whoever is able to basically get to a point where they can either uh, afford to have some of their creatures stunned every other turn or they have enough cards that will generate them the amber or they have a way to get rid of that artifact you know, it's going to be a long game. So everything seems designed to slow Keyforge down, make Keyforge more strategic, make those decisions really matter. Yeah. And that's great. I agree. Because, and you're right about the artifact stuff. And yesterday, uh, I think Rick, the deck I played against him with my redacted deck, it, he had two Rusnars. And that's like the one thing I was the most afraid of because he can just go into easily get rid of my redacted. So, but having Brobnar, I was able to, to take care of the Rusnar always. But that card is actually scary because it's four power and it and it not only takes out an artifact, you also gain Ember if it has Ember Pip. So I, th I think that's a really powerful uh, artifact removal that's not direct, like, actionable, actionable removal. I think it's, a, it's really, really quality. One of the things that I really want to call out um, about this set that I think is really impressive is that they managed to maintain the flavor of the houses that they established with Call of the Archons yes. while making the things that those houses are good at operate differently. And I really like that. If you look at Brobnar, Brobnar is still the fighting house, and they didn't give it a bunch of effects that seem like, you know, oh, this seems more like a Sanctum effect, or that seems more like a Shadow effect. There's still tons and tons of just fight and fight-oriented things that Brobnar does. But the way that fight works in this set is really advantageous compared to what it was in the previous set. And I'd be tempted to say that they looked at wasn't what wasn't working from Call of the Archons and made adjustments. But per Richard Garfield, they actually finished designing this set before the previous one came out. And they've just been slowly refining it. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's yep. really interesting that they already were thinking this far ahead or their playtest had suggested that. So I haven't had the opportunity to do this yet. Gentlemen, have you played a Call of the Archons versus an Age of Ascension deck yet? I don't think we have, no. No, we did yesterday, Rick. Oh, did we? Okay. Rick and I traded decks yesterday. Uh, we, we each traded one that was more into our play style. And I think you you jammed it against the redacted deck. Ah, that's right. Yeah, I and I that was one of the... I think that was the one where I pulled off the redacted on the third. Yeah, 
but it was really close those two decks i think they were yeah it was it was literally like you forgot about the redacted and i think if not you would have had that game yeah so yeah it was um it was hard to say um my my impression is though is that saying that i don't see i feel like it's really hard to to give this opinion now about them against one another because the familiarity of playing call of the archons is so strong and it's been proven that the familiarity is the thing that proves for for success in keyforge mm -hmm. so i don't think we can really jump to this conclusion just yet because my initial thought was that them saying that they can play get any set can play against one another is a thing and I, I my initial thought was like oh my goodness i think that was a mistake and it should be each set is is located to itself and yep. there'll always be tournaments that are using the current sets. But now I'm not thinking the same way anymore. I'm thinking that we're just so used to the familiarity and the success that came with Call of the Archons that we're jumping to conclusions very quickly with Age of Ascension when it's still so much in the infancy stage. Like, I don't think anyone's probably hit 100 games yet. Well, probably not. It's just going to be time, I think, before we can truly understand whether this is weaker or if we're just trying to play Call of the Archons in an Age of Ascension world. Yeah. What I will be very curious to see is what archetypes of deck get smoked by the Age of Ascension. Because I personally think, and we'll be able to talk about this in a couple months' time once we have a better grasp on the set, I think that there are going to be decks that absolutely murder Rush decks. Oh, yeah. I think Rush decks are going to get smoked by a significant proportion of Age of Ascension decks because of the way that they control pacing of game and the way that they control when you can forge and the way that they control how you can reap and what happens to your amber. I see a lot more of that, and I see a lot more forcing people to be involved in what's going on, on the board and not allowing them to ignore what your opponent is doing and just focus on getting as much amber every turn as possible. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that. I, I kind of had a different... I think that racing decks are stronger now. Really? Well, for 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 right now, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but the reason why I think that is because everything relies on the board state. So if you have a deck that's not interacting with the board state, then what are they doing really? Because they're creating a board state to interact with your board state. And if you're not putting out a board state, then then essentially, like if you can generate raw ember without having to reap essentially, like and if, and if just reaping once is all you need for that effect to get you to that next level, provided they don't have any of the key imps, like and if you and that's the other thing the key imps are essentially like they're only going to do so much right because they're situational once you get past that point that key imp is useless so and it's and there's only ever one in a deck so therefore it's never going to be a point where it's like one card out of your 36 and unless you're holding that because you know the situation's coming that's one thing because now without bait even without bait and switches and things like that being being like taken down there's also the fact that having a stockpile of ember is less of a risk now than it was before definitely so i just i just am not sure if racing decks are going to be less if anything i think we're going to see them more i'll be interested to see how cards like forge master aug from brobnar really start to affect gameplay now the forge master aug is not a common card i don't think uh it's a rare but do you guys know what it is i no. have no clue after a player forges a key, they lose all of their remaining amber. Ooh, yeah, that could be going. And there's interdimensional graft in this still, isn't there? I believe yes. interdimensional graft is still going. All right, so uh, as the weeks go by, as we get more experience with the new set, and as we play it against the old set, we're going to have more thoughts, but we're still just awash in the glow of discovery 
with the release of The Age of Ascension, a very exciting time to be a Keyforge player and aficionado. However, with the new set also came some rules amendments that apply to some familiar cards. Some would say dominating cards, and uh, they've been given uh, errata, which some people have referred to as almost the equivalent of a soft ban. I think that's a bit of an overstatement myself. Of course, referring to the fact that Library Axis has been changed and Bait and Switch has been changed. The essential change is that Library Axis is now purged after use. I'm still not a fan of that one. I mean, I know something was needed, but I still say that if uh, if they put Alpha on the card, it would have it would have done the same thing and not nerfed it nearly as hard. I would agree with that statement 100%. Blake, do you have any thoughts on the change to library access? Yeah, I was disappointed too. I I do I do think that uh, I've heard some people say that there's a few combo decks, but the majority of people not without a combo deck. It's nice to come around to it later. And so I wish it wasn't that way and it was put a statement like or like something you can only play one library access each turn. Like even that statement alone is the errata. Library access, you, only one library access can be played each turn. That's all it has to state. And it, and it literally is a simple errata. The purge, I think, was a little aggressive. But I'm wondering if they, they're finding that too many people are leaning so heavy on that as a means of playing. And they want to allow... Uh, the rest of the set to breathe a little bit more and to get more discovery. I'm wondering if that is part of it. Yeah, I, I honestly feel like um, this was motivated by the fact that Lands decks, that's Library Access, Nepenthe Seed, took down a couple of tournaments and there were a couple of high-profile tournaments. And yep. uh, I'll be honest with you, I watched one of the finals that involved Lands and it was boring. It was boring to watch. And I honestly feel like one of the things they're trying to do is say this game is not dominated in this way by this kind of combo playing where there's no yep. interaction. It's just one person playing by themselves. And so them doing that, I feel like is, uh, you know, a way for them to, uh, uh, you know, resolve that issue. I agree 100% with you fellas. I feel like it was a very aggressive way of going about it. And I do not understand what a purge does that a simple alpha that's the errata. It's now an alpha card. Has to be played as the first card of your turn. Would not have resolved. Yeah, I'm, I'm also wondering if it they didn't do alpha because technically alpha is not something that exists in that set, so therefore it cannot be a part of the set. That's what I'm wondering if the logic is. Which again, would you just say this card must be the first card you play? Like you can create alpha without actually saying alpha, mm-hmm. or you can only play one per turn because that that again I think is also does the same thing. Only one library access may be played per turn. Of course, Library Access, not the only card that got hit with a nerf. Bait and Switch got changed. Now, Bait and Switch does a maximum steal of two. Now, I have strong feelings about this one. Um, I have lots of decks with Bait and Switch, but also I hate getting Bait and Switch played on me, which is kind of the way uh, most people feel about Bait and Switch, I think. Um, I feel like this one is really warranted. I feel like... Uh, there have been so many games that have been won or lost on the pure basis of somebody swinging with a bait and switch, which has no downside to be played other than, you know, you can't really play it if you're behind, but to steal one powerful to steal two great more than that. And you're getting into a place where I think it was really warping a lot of people's game playing in that shadows became so dominant in the early meta. And one of the reasons was because, 
uh, uh, bait and switch was so unchecked. Gentlemen, do you feel differently? No, I I actually think uh, that you you hit the nail on the head there. I, I I actually enjoyed the swing of it. Like I thought it was fun, like preparing for it and stuff. But but I I do think that they have the metrics of how often it was played because everyone is scanning their deck so they can see just like the the sheer numbers that are being brought to tournaments and chain bounds and all that. And I know that people were literally choosing decks just for the fact that it had a Bane switch. Mm -hmm. And I, I again feel like this is one of those things where people were not getting to fully enjoy the full call of the archons um, card demographic that existed. And they were just always choosing the same singular thing. And it led to, you know, it's kind of like, oh, this is typical. Of course, it's shadows. And I mean, it even led to the point where people were creating fun little things where you cannot bring certain houses to events uh, for local LGSs because they they didn't want to have that bait and switch aspect happening again. And so I think it was a healthy thing. As, as much as people are going to go off on it because it was a, a huge game changer, I think for the entirety of the rest of the game, it's going to be a lot healthier and it's going to create people getting to discover more that's out there. And it still does what you need to do because you can still put people off keys with it. So I just think it became a much more, uh, the health of the game was what was considered when this move was made and just for people to enjoy more. Rick, are you going to miss old school bait and switch? Uh, I don't think so to be very honest because yes i like that card but i don't remember playing it all that often to be very honest i really do feel like it's gonna force a lot of people to play differently as you mentioned oh, yeah. blake and that's positive for the the game yeah um yeah. i don't feel like anybody who quits the game over these changes is gonna be missed that much because no. uh honestly if the only way you feel like you could win or be competitive was either by playing lands or by having bait and switch at an opportune time, then you weren't playing the game in a way that I think was conducive to the health of the game and encouraged other people to play the game. I also think that those people who left right away are probably the ones who didn't even just randomly open them. They went online and knew they were good and spent hundreds of dollars, and that's the real reason why they're real, real butthurt about it. I don't want to speculate, but uh, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> That's that's the only reason why I think you'd be like, I'm out because you invested a lot of money into one deck to do that. Otherwise, it's just one of the decks you had and you're just like, okay, well, I'll just play this other one that I have. That's really fun. So, yeah. All right, it's time for everybody's favorite segment. It is the titular segment. We call it Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. And I've got one. This is our little lesson learned, our little level up moment. Um, this is the one that I got. Uh, that I've already, I think, briefly mentioned, but I really want to expound upon it. Um, all of a sudden, I feel like you could get by being sloppy with where you placed your creatures in your battle line in the previous set, in the Call of the Archons. In Age of Ascension, you can not. One, so many effects target creatures that are sitting on your flanks. Two, so many creatures grant benefits from where they're sitting on a flank. Three, so many creatures that give you amazing benefits and punish your opponent need to be protected. They need to be protected by taunt. They need to be next to creatures that grant them benefits like elusive or armor. 
you cannot take that stuff for granted anymore. And I feel like anybody who does is going to get really taken out by the people who really grasp the intangibles of how to lay out their battle line in such a way as to protect their high priority assets. Yeah. I'm still terrible at it, but it's a thing that I now know <laughs> I need to work on. Yes, me too. For me, uh, and I believe Blake was the one that brought this to my attention, even though I sort of knew it, it's nice to have it brought to your attention again so that you know yes this is something that i have to do but i always and this is to my detriment a lot of the time i look for the fun play not always the most beneficial play i need to start slowing down a bit more looking at everything and figuring out what's the best move that i can make to put me closer to the goal of winning the game not just oh what's fun it's good to have fun too but i mean yep you gotta you gotta play both sides of the coin i think yeah. So for me, I had some learning curves and going back, I, I wish I had known this a little bit more before was I actually didn't fully understand the card custom virus. And I have a deck that has two of them in it. So custom virus is an artifact that gives you an ember when you play and it has an omni effect that says sacrifice custom virus, purge a creature from your hand, destroy each creature that shares a trait with the purged creature. So I didn't understand the trait of that. So I wasn't thinking of it correctly and holding it. Uh, or not holding it, just not using it. And it's it's a really powerful card because, I mean, if you essentially share a house with with your opponent, you pretty much can wipe out almost most of their creatures with that. Oh, and yeah. It, and it's time. Omni, so you can play it on any turn. And there's no restrictions to it. So I found that really powerful. Um, and that was a big learning because I, I know next time I'm going to use that way differently and take way more advantage. And then the other one that I, that I found that was uh, super interesting was a uh, collector worm so yes collector worm is a two power creature with five armor and it says fight archive the creature collector worms fight if that creature leaves your archives put it in its owner's hand instead and so that one was uh was that one was i was afraid to play it because there's so much now where you're actually using your own archives that removing it is i, I was like hesitant to use it and it was more just this reaping creature that couldn't be really killed with because it's a seven power with five armor so nothing really sticks uh so i found that creature is i need to get comfortable using that and not be afraid because i think i was putting myself at a disadvantage with the way the board state is so much more important in this set so that was one yeah. thing that i need to let go of the fear of the past kind of and start thinking about the future more that's about all the time that we have here this week on help from future self Thanks very much for tuning in. If you want to find us on social media, I am at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter. Where can they find you, Rick? I am at the Wheeling Keyforger on Twitter. And Blake? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, and it's a Boulevard Paper Fight, spelled B-L-V-D Paper Fight. Right on. We will be back next week with more casual pub chat about the game of Keyforge. Stay forging. We'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.